if I'm turned on or not. Hey, I am. All right. Morning. We're very nearly at the end of our journey through Luke. Um, actually, before I start, I need to say happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday um, to Kerry. Kerry turned 60 this week, so happy birthday, Kerry. Um, yep. She took us all out for a, a beautiful lunch, so thanks for that. Not all of us. Uh, Colin just came in for like a, a quick nibble and then had to leave again, so we know where Colin stands in the pecking order. So happy birthday, Kerry. Uh, no worries. <laughs> so um, we're nearly all the way through Luke. This is the penultimate sermon in our Luke series that if you've been traveling with us for a while, it's been going for about four years, so well done, everyone. It's been good. Um, I've really enjoyed the last few weeks. Over the last few weeks, I feel like the strands have all pulled together. Last week, we had this beautiful, evocative image of what it looks like for someone to receive salvation by grace in Zacchaeus. Um, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and Zacchaeus was an embodiment of that. He demonstrated for us what it means to be a lost person who is saved by the grace of God. Uh, I know that for many of you over the last few weeks, God's been really speaking as we've drawn these things together, and there's been that joyous response to the, to the message and to the Word of God, that you've been reminded of who you are in Him. Some of you maybe for the first time, I thank God for that. But this morning, our focus shifts very much back to Jesus. Moves away from our response back to the person of Jesus. This morning, kind of like our video this morning, the narrative of Luke slows down. Like a good movie where it reaches the climax of the movie, the story slows down, it goes into more detail, and we find this vibrant image of Jesus. He embodies the other side of love and grace. We receive love and grace, but Jesus is the one who embodies and brings love and grace of God. It is God's sacrificial self-giving of himself in the person of Jesus. So way back in Luke 9, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He headed out. He had this um, task of seeking and saving the lost, and it's been working its way to its conclusion ever since. He's been on a journey through Samaria, Galilee, up into Jericho, and on to Jerusalem. Jesus was really clear when he spoke to the disciples. He said, this love will be rejected. When I arrive at Jerusalem, I come offering peace, and the cost of that will be that I will be killed. It's very clear. In Luke 18, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written in the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. In their minds, they're thinking that means victory and joy and that they're going to rule. Jesus says, he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, spit on him, they'll flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they didn't know what he was talking about. So today, Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem for what he knows will be the last time. He makes the long, slow climb from Jericho 
up to Jerusalem. It's an elevation gain of over 1,000 metres. Just to put that into perspective, that's more than two Mount Lofty climbs for anyone who's done it, and it's through the desert, through this barren, rocky land. But once you make that climb, as you uh, reach the summit, the countryside opens up. You look across the Kidron Valley to the city of Jerusalem and the golden temple shining in the sunlight. And with Jesus on this walk comes this great crowd of people. And he starts riding on a donkey. And the crowd breaks into a song from Psalm 118. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. I love that line, put Jesus on it. I don't know what that looks like. He probably needed a hand. <laughs> yeah, if it's anything like any of the donkeys I've met, he definitely needed a hand. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Jesus, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The overwhelming sense is joy. God is bringing together all the promises into this moment, and God is about to fulfill and do for his people what he has promised. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That song is from Psalm 118. It's actually a pilgrimage song. It's a song that people would sing on their way up to Jerusalem. It's a song about the faithful future rescue of God's people. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Faithful future rescue of God's people. Here in this moment, it takes on new meaning. What God had promised is now coming to fulfillment. Uh, I've just got a, um, a painting that I'd love to put up on the screen as I read to you from Psalm 118. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and the Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he made his light shine on us. With bows in hands, join in the feastal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This morning, my hope for you as we look at this passage together is that you will perceive Jesus. 
that you will recognize that he is the Lord's right hand. He is life. He is the gate that the righteous may enter. He is the way of salvation for today. He is the light, the Lord, God with us most worthy of praise. For he is good and his love endures forever. I hope that you perceive that because here is Jesus embodying all these things. All of God's love and promises that have been talked about are actually made flesh in the person of Jesus, coming down the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey and joining in the celebration. So much so that it seems like the whole creation has got caught up in it. The Pharisees say, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, if they stop, the stones themselves will start crying out. This is a day of great celebration that has been waited for for a long time. I don't know if you know that feeling. Uh, I've got a friend of mine, Dan. He's a pastor um, at Ross Trevor Baptist Church. And for about 12 years, Dan and Ellie have been trying to have a baby. And uh, they just found out Oh, the baby was just born a month ago, or maybe even less than that. When they told the church, uh, it was on Father's Day last year, when they told the church that they were pregnant, the church spontaneously erupted <laughs> in celebration. It was beautiful to watch. He sent us through a video of the live stream. You couldn't hear anything for about a minute. It's just this something that has been long waited for coming to fulfillment uh, with great joy. Times that by a thousand, and you have what is happening here. We're about to witness the arrival of God's kingdom and the arrival of God's saving, self-sacrificial love. That's the big picture. That's the melody of this moment. But don't miss the undertone. As Jesus makes his way down the hill, humble, riding on a donkey, he is weeping. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it is now hidden from your eyes. The day will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Yes, this is the day of the Lord's coming, the day of celebration and grace, but in this moment, only Jesus is aware of the cost. Not just for him. These aren't tears for him. They will come later in the Garden of Gethsemane. These are tears for Jerusalem. His ministry has been all about the lost being found. Yes, the lost will be found. Yes, outcasts will be welcomed in. Sinners will be redeemed. But those who think they are found will be lost. Those who think that they can see will be blind to this moment. Many of the first will be last. God's chosen people, his holy city, will reject his way of peace and life. Jesus knows the incredible cost of reconciliation 
and he knows that not everything will be put right. These are the tears of God watching his children, his special people, reject peace with him and turn on a self-destructive path, a path that will end in the destruction of Jerusalem. These are the tears of the father over the prodigal who is never going to come back. My kids are getting older, aren't they, Eli? And um, I'm thankful for that. It's good not to have little children. (laughs) Um, I love seeing them grow into adults. Sometimes it takes longer than I think it would. But what it means for me, and I'm not very good at it yet, is learning to step back. Learning to actually let them make their own choices, even bad ones. It means not always protecting them from the consequences of those choices. Uh, Maybe you know people whose kids have gone down a self-destructive path. Maybe it's happened to you. Um, Maybe in their relationships or in addictions or just in what they choose to focus on. Who have spent... Maybe you know people who have spent a lifetime bearing patiently with their kids and trying to gently bring them back. Who at multiple points have had to draw lines in the sand and say, we can do this but no more. We have to have some consequences and we have to have some boundaries here. Who have borne hurt after hurt after hurt because they want to see positive change. But they don't. That's the tears of Jesus in this moment. Right at this point, there are only two groups of people who see the train wreck that is going to come. Jesus and the Pharisees. The crowd see blessing. They have the right response. This is actually the right response to celebrate with joy the coming of the king. But they don't perceive the cost. They don't understand the incredible cost that is coming. Jesus is the king. And there's two problems with that. First is that they already have a king. He's a king from Rome. He offers peace and prosperity and cracks down ruthlessly on any sedition. That's problem number one. That's why the Pharisees actually are so keen to quieten things down. They know if too many Roman soldiers hear about someone coming in the name of the Lord to set his people free, that there's going to be a massacre. They know there is a cost in rejecting the current system and the current king. Don't get me wrong, the Pharisees, they like the benefits of Rome, they like the prosperity it brings and the order and the rule, but they are no fans of the Roman Empire. They hate the Romans as much as anyone else, and they hate being under occupation. But the second problem the Pharisees have, they don't want Rome to be their king, but they certainly don't want Jesus to be their king. Jesus, who forgives the sinner and condemns the self-righteous. Jesus, who teaches that the first will be last and the last will be first. They don't want a king that will teach love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. They don't want a king that says God loves all people, not just 
you. They don't want a king who will go and overturn the established temple system. The very next act of Jesus is to go in and flip all the tables in the temple and say, why have you stopped this temple from being a place of prayer and welcome for all the nations? They don't want a king who messes up their exclusive rights over God. They wanted a different king. Someone, someone like John of Giscala, who uh, three years, uh, 33 years later was part of the revolt of 66 AD when the Jewish people did rise up violently and kill the Roman soldiers in Jerusalem and establish Jewish rule, who um, kicked some of the Greek residents of Jerusalem out, killed the others, and made it a pure national state. Um, who were there when Jerusalem was laid siege by the Romans in response. Who saw the destruction of the temple and every stone being pulled down so that not one stone was left on the other. You can go to Jerusalem now. All that's left of the old temple is a retaining wall. Uh, the reason that's left is because it was buried under the ground and not able to be dug up. Um, that's the kind of king Israel would choose. And so Jesus wept for his people and the choice that they were about to make, that they would reject the coming of the Lord. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. What should have been a day of pure joy and celebration is overshadowed by what is coming, the darkest day in history. God's gracious, faithful, self-giving love will take Jesus down this hill and then up another hill, the hill of Golgotha. It will end in crucifixion. And still he came. He was the only one in that crowd who knew that and still he came to take the guilt and the cost upon himself, to open a new way back to God and to give us a choice. That's what I hope you discern today. I hope you will see clearly the love of God and the choice before us. Here on the road to Jerusalem, we see the full nature of God who gives us the freedom to reject him, who comes humbly riding on a donkey to his people, saying, turn back to me, with no or else, who makes a way back and says, I will bear the cost. I will take the cost for this rejection and I'll make a way back if you will just respond to me. I hope that you see that because of him and because of this, entry into Jerusalem, we have a way back. We can choose. Jesus seeks a relationship with us even though there's been rejection. He is patient and keeps seeking that he has taken the initiative, that God loved us even while we were his enemies and Jesus pur purchased reconciliation and took the cost upon himself. As we head towards Easter, 
please see what everyone else in that crowd missed. That this is our king. That this is the nature of God. Recognize that God has given you a choice, the same choice that was given to Jerusalem. Will you welcome Jesus as your king? Will you join him in his ways of grace and peace? Will you allow him to reorder your life just like he reorders the temple so that he can bring life and joy and prosperity and peace and goodness? For he is good and his love endures forever. Will you see that? And then join the celebration. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Why don't we pray? Jesus said, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into this world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came, that despite the cost, you came, that despite the fact that there are many who will reject you, you came. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us this choice as well, that we have the ability to receive you, not on our own merits, but simply in response to your grace. Lord Jesus, may we see you and welcome you with joy. May we recognize your coming and receive you as our king. Lord Jesus, you are king over heaven and earth. One day it will be revealed. But we pray that here and now we can live under your love, under your grace, under your authority and kingship. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We praise you and we worship you for what you have done for all your people. Amen. Jeffrey. Well, we're running a little bit early, which is great. It's always better to run early than late, right? So we're waiting for the kids to come in, but um, I just thought that's okay. I got the gift of the gab, so we've got 10 minutes just to chat amongst ourselves.